Hi, the following podcast is an audio recording from our webinar on turning sales managers into great coaches. Thank you for listening. And we are absolutely delighted that so many people are joining us for today's uh, webinar on turning sales managers into great coaches. For many uh, of our participants today, I know that um, they may not have a lot of information on sales readiness groups, so just want to use a one-slide overview to, overview to kind of share at a high level what Sales Readiness Group does and how we engage with clients. So our focus is on customized sales training programs uh, covering foundational and advanced selling skills. And the most rapidly uh, growing part of our business is our sales management and specifically our coaching offerings. So we know there's a lot of buzz around coaching right now, and we've done a lot of work with clients to really help them turn their managers into great coaches. And we wanted to just share with you some of our thoughts around that process. Before we do, I would like to do have uh, is to engage our participants and really just get some of your input as to how do your sales managers learn to coach their sales teams? Did they figure it out on their own? Was it more exper- uh, mentoring by a more experienced manager? Did they go actually go to a formal coaching program, or did they hopefully maybe attend a sales coaching program that was really specific to sales managers? And with that, I'm going to bring up a polling slide and just. Uh, you can click one of the radio buttons on the left. It should record your answer, and Ray and I will broadcast those results in, in just a couple of minutes. Ray, I'd like to uh, just kind of get your thoughts. You know, Going back in your career, you've uh, now run sales teams at the very highest levels, but how about that first transition from sales to management? What was that like for you, and how did you figure it out? Yeah, you know, I, thank you, Norman. Uh, it'll be interesting to see the results coming in. They're, they're starting to come in. We'll broadcast shortly. Uh, but I think we're going to find, uh, and consistent with other, other times we've run this poll, where my experience is consistent with, uh, with others where they've either had to figure it out on their own or I was lucky enough to have what I considered a couple of great mentors that I, I followed and, and hopefully modeled along the way. Um, but it was really a trial and error effort. And uh, I won't say it was the most efficient or the, the most painless uh, way to learn how to, how to become a sales coach and sales manager. So I, I think we're seeing the results coming in that are kind of consistent with that. Sure. Let me go ahead and broadcast those results. And so as you might have predicted, uh, most people do figure it out on their own. Um, not necessarily the, the easiest way to learn. There are some significant differences between uh, selling and managing, and we'll cover those in a few minutes. Some of them, about 25% of the audience, like you, were able to get some really good uh, mentors. And then one thing that I really think that's great is that 23% of the audience or 22% of the audience actually are participating in sales coaching programs that are specific to sales managers. And I think that's probably the highest percentage we've seen, uh, and we've asked this poll a couple of times. So that's very encouraging. Yeah, I think it's it's uh, it is interesting to see that result, and you know, obviously there's continued interest. There's a program in place. Um, you know, maybe it's the how do we expand that? How do we even learn some additional best practices? And I think one of the things that that also points to is, especially in larger organizations, um, you know, if you're either figuring it out on your own or you're following a good uh, mentor, there there's not necessarily going to be that consistency and that coaching culture, which we're going to get into. So there may be little pods where it's being done quite well, uh, but there isn't a consistent language, consistent model applied across the organization. 
You know, Ray, I've always felt this uh, this model is pretty interesting because it deals with the transition from sales to management and even to higher levels within organization. Can you kind of just take us through the model and some of the distinction between selling skills and management skills? Yeah, so, you know, we're big fans of Ron Jerome's work and, and the leadership pipeline. And, you know, as specifically applied to kind of a sales career, I think what we often find, and, and people uh, may nod in on, on this example, but you have a hard-charging, you know, high-performing uh, sales executive, sales representative. They're doing quite well. They're, they're achieving their quota. And you say, this person is moving, moving and going places. Let's promote them to sales manager. And we find that what we refer to as this first pivot, you know, this first turn from salesperson to sales manager is arguably one of the, the most difficult in a transition or, or in a career pro- progression because they are going from more of an individual contributor to now getting work done through others. And I think it is a key distinction, and as you follow the path up, then you know once you start to master those sales management skills, you may be promoted to a, a VP or, or chief sales position, and you know now you're managing budgets and numerous uh, groups, and there are additional challenges that go with that, and you know ultimately maybe on to an organizational or executive leadership position, um, you know where again you're looking more across at uh, you know vision, strategy, and and overall objectives of the organization. But, you know, we really are focusing in here with that idea of you've been promoted to sales manager, now what do I do next? And how do I develop those skills that are going to be necessary? Or in your people, how do you uh, put a program in place to develop those skills that are necessary to make that transition? So let's talk a little bit about that. You know, I think as we look at our comprehensive selling skills program and our sales training programs, you know, we really focus on those key ideas around prospecting and questioning and listening you know, how do we really engage with our customer, understand what their needs are, how do we present our, our value proposition in a compelling way, you know, manage feedback and handle objections, ultimately negotiate, gain commitment, manage, you know, your own territory and time, and you need to be an expert around product. You know, certainly um, that you could add to this list, but those are things that, you know, a star performing rep would need to have a handle on and do quite well. When we look at the progression to sales manager now, in addition to being effective and being able to coach all of the skills on the left, now they need to be able to set goals and priorities for their team. They need to recruit and get the right people on board. They need to be able to give feedback and coach and improve the skills of their team as well as manage and, and lead and motivate. So I think as you can see, you know, the list is, is a different focus and in fact, there often isn't the program in place to really develop those skills. And really where we're going to focus today is on that area of, of coaching. Um, but I think you can see that all of these are, are important and, you know, need to be developed in our individuals. So as we look at that, you know, kind of a, a real-life uh, example, and we we're, uh, like to use sports analogies from time to time, but I think you can see this across any sports. Uh, you know, here we happen to pick a, a basketball example. But if you think about somebody like an Isaiah Thomas, who was a phenomenal all-star player, when he made that progression to coaching, you know, quite frankly, he, he was marginal. And so if you look at his, his wins, his losses, if you look at the, uh, the press at the time, they said, you know, he really didn't have the, the skills to coach and didn't really perform at that next level. That's not to say an all-star can't become a great coach, but in this case, it was a different skill set, and, and he uh, arguably didn't, didn't do well at it. Where Phil Jackson, you know, who was a reasonable player, spent some time in the NBA, 
but when he made that progression to coaching, now had a phenomenal, you know, one of the winningest coaches of all time and uh, was able to master those skills that are necessary. So, you know, again, what we're saying is it's not that the best reps don't make good coaches, but it's a different skill set. And, in fact, we need to develop and be thoughtful about how we develop those skills in our star reps to make that transition, and specifically around sales coaching. Norman, do you want to kind of dive into those four areas a little bit more detail, and then we'll, we'll focus in on the yeah, coaching area? I, I think, you know, for purposes of today's topic, we really want to focus on coaching, but I, I also think it's important to mention that coaching is really one of the management abilities. Managers also need to be able to hire, uh, recruit and hire the right people, typically based on competencies that have are that have demonstrated success within their sales organizations. They need to be able to manage uh, performance, and quite often they're really not, they're focused, so hyper-focused on results, they're really not thinking as much as they should about the behaviors that drive those results and having really a system in place to manage performance. And clearly people want to work for great leaders, uh, people who can lead and inspire their teams. So when we think about, you know, our programs or other programs on the market, for developing managers, coaching is one, arguably, maybe the most important skill set, but we also want to make sure that, you know, everyone understands that coaching is one of the many management abilities uh, that managers should have. And, in fact, if anyone's interested, we have a really uh, great white paper on this. It's called Developing Great Frontline Sales Managers, and if anyone wants that, they could email Jackie, uh, Jackie at salesreadinessgroup.com, and she can provide you with a copy of that white paper with that, I'd like to dive in on today's topic, which is really sales coaching, and start with a definition. So sales coaching is really focusing on skills, knowledge, or the use of strategies to improve sales results. And I just wrote a blog post on this, and you know, I think that sometimes managers are a little bit intimidated by the idea of coaching because it is a pretty broad term. But if we start to narrow that term, really think about it in terms of developing selling skills, developing product and industry knowledge, and having strategies to really advance opportunities with clients, those are really the key skills. And typically those skills fall within two buckets, what we would call opportunity coaching. And actually most uh, managers who move up from the sales ranks are pretty good at opportunity coaching. I mean, as a sales professional, they've been working on deals. They're used to negotiating with customers, structuring ideal deals, identifying needs. And they have a tendency to struggle a little bit on skills coaching. So taking that one step deeper, uh, if we look at the opportunity coaching, this is really about planning or implementing sales strategies for specific sales opportunities. So almost all managers conduct regular pipeline reviews. Quite often there are deals that are stuck in the pipeline. We may not have access to the decision makers. There may be some complicated issues. There may be some competitive factors. And this is really the manager working side-by-side side with the rep, kind of exploring what those alternatives are and helping guide them to the right opportunities. And I said, I think most sales managers do a pretty good job in this area. Where they yeah, struggle- Norman, if I could just add to that, uh, you know, I think we often see it in the industry, and I would just encourage people to look at, you know, when, when you're talking about sales coaching, what's really behind that. I think often what people refer to as sales coaching is really methodology or, or sales process 
or as you mentioned, pipeline coaching. So it's, it's more about how do you move from a step to a stage in the sales process or from each stage, or maybe it's training them on a methodology that was just sold to them as a, as a new sales process. Unfortunately, it doesn't really help with the second part you're going to speak to, which is around developing the skills of, of the rep and becoming a good, a good manager and coach. Really fair point. I think that there is a lot of confusion between coaching and pipeline management, and I would say that pipeline management and deal coaching is certainly a part of coaching, uh, but the other aspect is really skills coaching. And this is an area they struggle with because it's, you know, going back to the star athlete syndrome, Ray, it's really not about necessarily having those skills yourself, but helping other people on your team develop those skills. So it really rings true for me that just because someone might be an all-star basketball player doesn't necessarily mean they have the skill, they have the abilities to really train and coach others to develop those skills. And examples could be things like prospecting skills, identifying priorities, presenting value, managing customer objections, negotiation. So that's what we're really referring to are those helping your salespeople develop those core skill, coaching skills. So, Ray, from a time perspective, you know, managers often look at, you know, all their different responsibilities, and sometimes they, they really don't have time for coaching. What have you found to be a best practice, and kind of what are your thoughts around this industry statistic we're bringing up here? Yeah, you know, we've looked at this very carefully, and, and I think there are lots of, you know, metrics out there that, that speak to and support this that, um, you know, in a best practice or high-performing organization, typically 25 to 40 percent of a frontline sales manager's time should be focused on, on sales coaching. You know, so what do we mean by that? That's looking at, you know, one to up to, to two days a week that are really focused on developing the skills of, of the team. And while, you know, when we go through our workshops, people often question or say, wow, you know, there's no way I can do that. I have all these meetings and reports and, and different tasks that I need to fulfill. Um, but we really feel in the research supports that this is one of the most significant things you can do to build and develop your overall performance as a team. And the fact that if you can get individuals on your t- team to perform at a higher level, now that's going to raise everything. And in fact, we find that most managers are spending a lot of time putting out fires, uh, being reactionary, you know, jumping in to resolve problems with clients. Um, and, and guess what? You start to create leverage and you're able to actually uh, proactively address some of those issues. So again, if we can teach them to fish uh, for themselves, then we don't have to be there casting the line every time. So really, having them being able to solve their problems without us jumping in every time and think through the process uh, that we're putting in place empowers them and is also, I think, more satisfying than having somebody either nitpicking or telling them uh, you know, what they should do at every step. Right. I think there's a couple of key points here. I think there's a, you know, leverage in terms of empowering people. So you think about it, ironically, when you first start to coach, it's actually going to put more time constraints on the managers because it probably is a little bit faster in the short term just to put out fires. But ultimately, if you have a team of seven to ten reps and you can kind of train them to start uh, and empower them to really start solving their own problems, in other words, instead of telling them what to do on how to advance a deal or telling them how they should have crafted a proposal, actually sitting down side by side with them, helping them figure out what the options are, and then helping them sort through those options so they gain the skills and the confidence to move forward 
you get a huge amount of leverage and also a huge amount of satisfaction in seeing the people that work for you start to succeed on on their own. I think yeah, there's you know, also Norman, of, oh, go ahead. Well, you know, I was just going to share another uh, anecdote and uh, and actually a little personal uh, perspective on this, but I've spent a good bit of the last 10 years uh, coaching and, and watching youth soccer, and actually I have a blog uh, on, on our website related to this, um, you know, that speaks to the idea that the best coaches I've seen are not the ones that are out there trying to tell the players exactly where they should be and what they should be doing at every moment. In fact, they've set the expectations, uh, you know, they've given the input, and then after the game or at halftime, they're putting a hand on the shoulder, giving direct feedback having a discussion about areas of improvement, they're not trying to, um, you know, do it as if it's a, a FIFA game uh, where they're they're with the joystick trying to to manipulate. And sometimes, frankly, I see sales managers being a bit like that with the joystick, trying to tell people exactly what they should do at every step of the sales cycle. And you know, I don't think people really rise to that uh, to that occasion. So you know, there's some really great industry data, and we commissioned a report with uh, CSO Insights. It's actually the second time they've run this report, where they surveyed over 2,000 companies, and the the evidence is pretty compelling. You know, Ray, your your thoughts on this? Yeah, you know, the, and and we've done this study a number of times, and you know, where the the numbers may change a little bit, the trend and and the overall message I think is is very profound, and and that's you know the way this works in these organizations where they responded and said that their coaching program really needs improvement. The correlation is that reps are actually doing a poorer job meeting quota. In fact, they're, they're underperforming by quite a bit of the quotas that have been set, where those programs where we're saying uh, they self-responded to say coaching exceeds expectations, they're actually you know, very close or, or in many cases meeting uh, expectations and, and meeting the quotas that have been set. You know, when I look at that and think about a 10% uh, attainment difference in quota, boy, that represents a very large, you know, revenue gap uh, that those organizations that aren't meeting quota, and if that's something we can help close through a better coaching program, um, you know, it presents a a pretty solid business case, and I think you can can work the numbers for your own organization, you know, what would that look like if you were able to uh, improve the percentage of reps making quota through a coaching program. So, Ray, I don't think the, you know, the audience that we have today is a pretty sophisticated audience because, you know, and I don't think they would have joined us for this webinar if they weren't, you know, believers in sales coaching and really want to learn how to, you know, tra- transition managers into great coaches. But, you know, I'd like to kind of get perspective here, you know, and just figure out, you know, we, we're all, we all believe in coaching, but it's not something that happens all the time. So there are significant coaching challenges that managers face. I'd like to bring up a chatbot. It's pretty simple. You just type into the open box. And really some getting some feedback um, on why managers, you know, what challenges they're facing that may hold them back from, from coaching. And uh, we're getting pretty real-time response. Kristen's saying time. Uh, again, time we're saying. They, so, oh, Barbara's got an interesting point. They have their own quota. Ray, I'd like to get your feedback on that in a moment. Uh Getting reps buy-in, coaching remotely, uh, experts in the field. Uh, we've got a very opinionated audience. Geographics, uh, subject yeah, knowledge. We're, we're definitely starting to see some trends around, you know, having the time to dedicate. Certainly, some challenges around geogra- geography and and being able to travel. Um, you know, I think it's it's really interesting to see the results come in because though people feel, I think 
uh, there's a compelling case, it's often not being done at the level that they would hope. And so we're starting to see, you know, a number of different reasons and, and some themes emerging here. Um, you know, even some around they don't know how to do it. Um, you know, maybe they, they don't want to undermine their, their reps here, um, at, and, and so they're not really sure how they should approach it, or they think it's too, uh, boss, too much bossing around, uh, Dion mentioned. I think that's, uh, that's a great point. So, Ray, I had a question for you. It's come up. I think Ron raised it, and I think someone earlier raised this. You know, the idea that some managers have to sell and manage, kind of your thoughts about being both kind of a player and a coach at the same time. Yeah, you know, I think that's, that's very challenging, and, you know, it's also reality. You know, especially in a smaller organization, it's something that's done. I think what we need to, to really be clear about is when we're being a player and when we're being a coach and the fact that of that coaching time, we're going to carve out a percentage to develop our people. And so I, I think it is one of the most challenging things you can do if you also have to bring in your own quota. But if the organization is saying that you have this title and, and you're expected to do it, then, in fact, you, you need to carve out that time to develop your people because, again, that's going to have a bigger ROI than you being able to close every deal yourself. Absolutely. So if we kind of recap, and I think that our audience may have hit on more than these points, but some of the biggies that we've found in the past is they don't know how, so you know there's a skill set issue. They're not spending enough time coaching the right reps, so they may actually be coaching their bottom performers uh, which doesn't have a really high ROI. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit more detail later. They may not have a consistent coaching process, so there just may not be a methodology that, find, um, that they're following. There isn't a coaching culture. We're going to talk about that shortly. And coaching is viewed as remedial. In other words, if coaching is something that's viewed as only for bottom performers, then, then really no one's going to want coaching, whereas if you have a coaching culture, coaching is going to be a part of the organization. And I know, Ray, when we've looked at great organizations with coaching cultures. Sometimes even the CEO have personal coaches, and coaching and feedback are a part of the culture as opposed to being viewed as remedial. I think that's absolutely right. And again, to bring in the sports analogy, I think if we look at those who are performing at the highest level of the game and, and choose whatever game you want, they often have multiple coaches, and, and they're working with people who can give them feedback who can really dive into some of the details and, and be there for them. And I think you're exactly right on, on the coaching culture. We don't want to see it as remedial or something that's done once they're put on a performance improvement plan, you know, right before their, uh, maybe their, their position has changed. Uh, we want that to be something that's sought after and, in fact, encouraged across all levels of the organization. So if we look at effective sales coaching, it really starts with the mindset. So what's the difference between managing and coaching? When do you coach, and you know how do you create a coaching culture? Once you've kind of looked at those areas, then you can start to analyze and co-assess. And I think this is a area where managers don't necessarily know what to coach on. So this whole idea of analyzing and figuring out what to coach on is really important before you start to implement a coaching process because you have to really figure out what does that plan look like. And then once you have that plan in place, then you can go through a coaching model. We use a five-step process. There are other models on the market. Key, attribute, key aspects of that are that not everyone wants to be coached, so how do you overcome coaching challenges? And also, how do you allocate uh, time across your team? So we're going to give some high-level uh, thoughts on each of these areas. Obviously, our coaching program goes into great detail in each of these areas. 
but at least at a high level, we're going to we're going to start with maybe a little bit around developing the coaching culture because that's the first step. So, key aspects of a coaching culture is number one, there has to be a management commitment. Uh, it's not something that necessarily can just be bottoms up, like many initiatives within a company are bottoms up. Coaching is, really requires involvement by senior management saying, we want our managers to become better coaches. We believe in it. We want to invest in it. Also means you have to allocate time, and that's time associated with training the managers to become great coaches and making sure the managers have enough time to coach. If the managers are simply going from meeting to meeting, filling out forecasts, doing pipeline reviews, they're really not going to have the time for skills development, so you have to allocate time to coaching. You need to dedicate resources. You have to really make sure that you have the culture in place that allows for coaching programs, coaching reinforcement, coaching tools. And to be successful, you have to measure. And one of the things, you know, going back to that um, data you cited, Ray, from CSO Insights, is I think there's really profound metrics in terms of reps attaining quota, performance to really support the business case. So figure out what it is you want to measure in terms of skills improvement. And then to another point you made earlier, Ray, is making sure that coaching is something that managers do every single day. So part of coaching is really going out in the field if you have a remote team and actually observing them on sales calls. If you have an inside team, it's listening in maybe on some of their customer conversations. But it could also be just simple role plays done over the phone, simple debriefs on calls they went on during the day, and just making sure that there's some coaching moments captured within each each and every business day. So when you think about coaching, you also have to have some broad considerations, and I think this is also a, a challenge. Absolutely. You know, I think we addressed, uh, or, or these came up as questions, you know, different themes again as we went through that. Um, but I think as we're embarking on any any type of a coaching program, uh, you know, often what the managers are asking is, well, who who should I be spending time on? As you, as you mentioned, the <clears throat> excuse me, time allocation, and you know, we'll touch on that. But uh, you know, it shouldn't be the squeaky wheel. It should be allocated where you're going to get the best uh, return on on your investment. And also, when should you be doing the coaching? You know, what's the best opportunity? What types of calls may lend themselves? And depending on the skill sets that you're trying to coach, you know, when are we going to go out there and do it? And actually allocating that time on the calendar. We say, you know, book the appointment with yourself and and make time to do it. Um, You know, then these two, and in fact, I was just having a conversation this morning with a client about that, is, you know, there may be a coaching model in place, which is, really how you're going to approach it, the steps you're going to go through. But then there's a very significant part, and and often they're not tied closely enough together, which is what am I supposed to coach on? What specific skills coming out of this training program are my individual sales executives supposed to have and know, and what is the manager actually going to coach uh, when they go out and ride along? So the the what to coach on I think is a very critical step because often it's left as as kind of a fuzzy or, or gray area. I actually think that's you know just on our experience working with clients that may be where managers struggle the most. So I want to I want to spend some time there, but I also think it's important to cover at a high level that coaching isn't the be all end all. You know we talked that earlier about managers having other responsibilities, managing performance, uh, recruiting and hiring, leading and inspiring teams. So Ray, give us some thoughts as to you know when is coaching appropriate and where where, where managers might start to use some other uh, you know interventions. 
Sure. Yeah, I think it's this is actually a really important slide because we're not saying that coaching is the, the panacea or is a fix for everything. And, in fact, there are times where coaching isn't the right intervention. And so as we'll walk through and, and give you a, a, a model, a way of thinking about that, you know, when is coaching going to be uh, a good approach? But there are also other things that should and need to be in the manager's toolkit as a way of improving performance. And what we often hear is, oh, I'm going to give him some coaching. And what the manager really means is I'm going to tell him how I would have done it or I'm going to tell him how to do it better. And that's not coaching. And, in fact, that has a way of potentially undermining and, and degrading uh, the, the conversation as opposed to having a true coaching conversation that we're going to get into. So I think, again, the manager has a number of different uh, actions and, and interventions they can take. Um, coaching is the one that we're going to focus on here today. You know, Ray, it's interesting. I wrote a blog post on this, and I originally titled the blog post, I think, When is Coaching Appropriate? And our marketing manager, being very creative, uh, retitled the blog post, When Coaching Isn't Appropriate. And it actually, that, that blog post, I think, now is our, is our most popular blog post, possibly due to the title. But it really kind of gets managers to think about when coaching is going to be effective and when some other inter, intervention might be um, important. And And what I'm going to touch on right now kind of gets to the heart of how do you assess what to coach on and some of the topics I I mentioned in that blog post. And if we're thinking about selling skills, you know, there could be two areas of gaps in selling skills. There's the proficiency, which is, you know, on the right side of this slide, which is, you know, a salesperson may not know how to do something. They don't understand. They may not have the information or the tools. So, for whatever reason, they may not be proficient at a certain skill. For example, questioning skills for, you know, not all salespeople are great at necessarily asking needed implication questions. They have a tendency to ask the simplest type of questions, which are fact questions. But you also have um, gaps that are caused by motivation. For example, if we look at the skill of prospecting, uh, many veterans are quite proficient. Sales veterans are very proficient at a prospect the same day they don't want to, they don't like it, they're bored with it, they don't think it's worth it. So when a manager looks at skills, they really have to think about, is it a proficiency issue, is it a motivation issue? And so I think, you know, when they assess the salesperson, what we like to suggest is that they, they plot the skills. And so they actually go through a diagnostic, and it's a little hard to read on the right side, but it goes through key skills from prospecting to call planning to um, questioning presenting value, uh, negotiating, uh, managing feedback, closing skills, and really having the manager assess to the proficiency and motivation on each of those skills, and then having the salesperson self-assess, but simply on the proficiency, so they're not asked to kind of think about their own motivation, and then doing, you know, identify where there's differences, and then have some conversation around those, and based on that, build a coaching plan. I think that your comment earlier, Ray, was really spot on. They, you can't just jump into how to coach without knowing what you're going to coach on. And so we have this idea of the development matrix, and um, you can maybe just kind of walk us through how the development matrix works once you've assessed skills. Absolutely. And, yeah, I, I think as you pointed out, that the critical step is to first understand where they are on, on the skill matrix, if you will, 
and also, you know, the fact, and, and as you brought up that example, that's something that can be tailored to any organization. And, in fact, we often come in and, and we'll tailor that and, and put a coaching program in place, even when there may be a, a different sales methodology or a different sales approach. Because, again, the what to coach on can be tailored to that and needs to be tailored to that organization. And I think that's one of the reasons that those more generic programs, you know, kind of fall a little bit short of the mark. But if we think about that, now that we've assessed, we have a good idea of where the skills may lie, and we can actually start to plot them on this grid. So if you think about that, you know, we have proficiency on one scale, motivation on the other. And this is something the sales manager would do. Obviously, it's, it's difficult for a rep to, to assess their own motivation, <laughs> but, but we would want to do that. And, you know, in this case, we're looking at the first uh, quadrant, which is saying somebody is highly motivated you know, they want to knock it out of the park, but they may not have the proficiency to do that. And so the most effective way of closing that gap is through training. And so I think about that as a, you know, new junior rep, and they're hungry to make a bunch of calls, but they may not be very proficient in their prospecting, their impact benefit statements, or making a compelling proposition to the client. So we need to go through training, and that's going to be the best way to address that that skill gap. You know, we find that down in this quadrant where they're not very proficient and they're not very motivated, you know, one, we need to kind of figure out what's going on, but that may be a case where we really just need to tell them we need to be more direct and set the expectation very clearly and say, you know, this is how we're going to do it, uh, and once you kind of earn or move your way out of that, now you get a little bit more autonomy to do things your own way. We'd still like to have a coaching conversation, but we may need to be a little bit more direct and also figure out why is that motivation low. As we work our way around this quadrant, we find, you know, again, you mentioned the examples where you may be very proficient. In other words, you've been trained and, and you know exactly how to do it. You're just not very motivated to do so. And that's a case where, you know, maybe there's something else getting in the way. There's a motivational or attitude issue. Um, you know, maybe they've been demotivated by something. So we need to have more of a performance counseling discussion and maybe dig into to that a little bit deeper and figure out what's going on there and why are they lacking the motivation uh, so that we can continue on. And ultimately, you know, up in this, this upper quadrant is that idea of somebody who is proficient and they are motivated, and that's great because we would like to empower them we can check in and make sure things are on track, but allow them to have decision-making, problem-solving, uh, authority, you know, kind of expand. And that's where you're going to get your biggest rise. That's actually where we're headed to, you know, in this quadrant is that idea of how can we build the proficiency and the motivation so they can walk on their own and they can actually be empowered uh, to, to take things on by themselves. So that's really where we're headed. Norman, maybe you could speak a little bit to the diamond. I mean, again, that's really what, what we're focused on here, which is in those middle skills with proficiency and motivation kind of being at, at the medium level. Right. So I think one of the key insights, just looking at this graphically, if you think about the plotting of the skills, in, in most cases, m almost every member of the sales team are going to have skills that fall in the in the middle somewhere between proficiency and and motivation and so coaching is you know if you compare that with the other areas it is you know typically where most of the time should be spent and the goal as you mentioned Ray is to coach people until the point where their motivation and proficiency is such that they're empowered to basically do it on their own and then you would build a new quarter quarter uh, coaching plans we suggest updating coaching plans on a quarterly basis because 
hopefully you will see improvement in the skills, and the idea is to coach on those skills, move people towards empowerment. If they're operating in one of the other areas where they're relatively new and they need some training, moving them over here. If they initially need a little bit more direction, uh, moving them in this direction. If they need per performance counseling, moving them up. So we want to get people from the training, directing, and performance counseling uh, areas into the coaching quadrant from a skills development standpoint, and then we want to move them along uh, as they develop confidence and, and proficiency into empowerment. And so when you think about great coaches, some of the things they bring to the table is they really have a desire to see other, one, other people succeed. So if you motivate an individual performer who really doesn't want to coach, they really enjoy being the star, they want it to be about themselves, that person's not likely to be a great manager or a great coach. The coach also has to have earned the individual's respect. The, the, the salesperson has to have a deep belief that the manager, in this case the manager playing the role of coach, really wants to see that salesperson succeed. They need to do it in an upbeat and positive way. So coaching is never about telling or degrading someone. You want to make it positive and candid. You also need to make sure that mistakes are used as a learning experience. In other words, if you observe something that's not going well in front of a customer, you don't necessarily make that correction right there. Um, there may be a few times where you need to, but you really want to allow people to make mistakes. That's how they learn. I mean, we, we kind of focus on that, you know, even from childhood. No one's going to learn how to ride a bike without falling a few times. And so we want to use the mistakes as a learning experience. And maybe the most important thing is focusing on behaviors, not judgments, which is why you really want to assess skills. Uh, if you came out of a sales call and you told a salesperson, Ray, you know, I just don't think that went very well, that's extremely judgmental. If you say, you know, what do you think you could have done better, and you start to do a debrief and say, you know, I think, you know, the questions that you asked, when you specifically ask this question, then you're getting into a, very much a behavior. So if you focus on judgments, the salesperson is likely to be defensive. If you focus on objective behaviors, then I think you have the ability to really coach and develop those skills. So kind of three macro ideas to keep in mind when you're coaching. We call it the coaching mindset is ask first. So really let the salesperson kind of explain their perspective. Actively listen. Not necessarily easy for a lot of managers to do, but good salespeople spend two-thirds of their time listening. So really under hearing what's going on and trying to understand and assuming the best of intentions. Don't assume that if something didn't go right, it was because that was the way the salesperson intended it. And when these three overlap, you get to the area we see as a coaching mindset. And so this really gets to the what to coach on and some thoughts to have in mind. And Ray, I'm going to kick it back to you in terms of at least the process we use. And there are a lot of great coaching processes out there. But this is one that we've used repeatedly. It ties to the coaching diamond. And it's a really nice five-step process. Yeah, so let me kind of walk through those steps, and I think, you know, just to uh, reiterate on, on the three A's, the asking first, actively listening, and assuming best intentions, I think if we can go into our coaching conversations with those in mind, and in fact, when we do the exercise in, in our workshop around active listening, it's really interesting to take, you know, a high-performing sales manager who's moving 100 miles a minute and really force them to take a step back and sit down and actively listen 
and be able to paraphrase and have somebody kind of critiquing their ability to do that. And I think we find that the, the first time they do that with their sales reps, one, they may think, well, what happened here? He usually just tells me what's wrong. But then they, the, the, the rep sales execs really appreciate the thoughtfulness and the fact that, you know what, this isn't just about telling you what you did wrong. This is really about engaging. So, you know, that really is where it starts with that coaching mindset. And then as we walk through this coaching model, we have the idea that, you know, first we want to do that assessment and understand where we're going to coach. You know, what are those two or three key behaviors that we're going to drill into, those key skills that we want to focus on and develop a coaching plan around it? If I give somebody 10 things they need to improve on, you know, their eyes are going to gloss over and, in fact, they'll probably accomplish none of them, where if we can really narrow it down and say, hey, you know, this quarter we want to focus on these two or three things, just on asking great questions and listening, boy, that really sheds a, a spotlight on, on those skills and allows us to really focus in. Now we know what we're talking about. So we can develop that plan and there's, there's no mystery. You know, we don't want them guessing. We want to make it very clear what we're going to work on. And then when we go into that pre-call briefing, you know, this is before a, a ride-along or a visit or maybe listening in on an inside sales, we want to actually be very clear about what's going on with the account and the opportunity and also what's going to be going on with respect to coaching on that call. You know, on this call specifically, I want to listen in and see how you handle that objection that you struggled with last time if it comes up or how you actually present the value uh, and relate it back to the requirements that you've uncovered. So, you know, so what are those key areas that you're going to be focusing in on and what are we expecting to accomplish in the call? So we don't want to lose sight of the fact, obviously, that, that we want to move the deal forward. But I think it's really important to do that and to also specify the roles in that call and this is a topic of a very significant discussion in our workshops is when does the manager step in, when is the manager joint selling, when is the manager really a coach and just observing. And I think you really need to have that discussion up front. Ideally, if it's a coaching call, the manager should take a back seat and really should just be observing, providing feedback, and only in the situation where there's, there's really necessary a, a need to rescue, you know, going to step in and take over, and we talk about what some of those instances are and, and how you might make that decision. But that really goes to observing the call, is you're observing how is the rep doing, and I always like to ask the question, you know, if they're struggling and you step in and, and save them or rescue them every time, what are they doing when you're not out there riding along with them? You know, what happens the other 80 to 90% of the calls that you're not out there with them, what are they doing? So. The best opportunity is maybe they have to struggle a little bit, and now we have the opportunity to really have a meaningful debrief, a coaching conversation afterwards to say, hey, how do you think that went? Did you accomplish the objectives? What did you like about it? And more importantly, what might you improve? What might you do differently? And, boy, that's a critical way of understanding how the rep is thinking about the sales call. And also, you know, were they in the same meeting you were? Because sometimes it seems like, uh, you know, maybe it's, it's quite a bit different. But I think that's a, a great way of understanding. And then we can provide our feedback, right? We're not going to let them off the hook, but we may want to ask some open-ended questions and actually ask about, well, you know, it seemed like the customer got a little bit confused. Again, very specific feedback when um, you were presenting the solution, how do you think that went? What might you have done differently? And get them to discover and come to a conclusion. They're going to be much more bought into the solution and hopefully take ownership over that. So when we put our follow-up plan in place, we're going to step through. Here are some things we identified to improve these skills. 
Here's what we're going to do. And guess what? Next month I'm going to come back and I'm going to be observing. So, Norman, I, I talked quite a bit, you know, kind of going through, again, this is two days' worth of uh, a coaching workshop pretty briefly, but that's really an overview of that coaching model. And I guess anything you, you, you would add to that? I think, you know, that every step here is very important. I mean, from developing the coaching plans and conducting the assessments to determining the roles they're going to play during a call, uh, the idea, I guess, on number three on observing the sales call, I'd say, go, you know, when you think about the role that a manager can have on a call, the manager can sell and the salesperson can observe. That may be appropriate for a new hire. The manager and the salesperson can both sell. That would be a joint sales call as long as they're not selling at the same time. And then the manager can observe. And I think it's really important to distinguish between the idea of a joint sales call might be kind of towards the end of a quarter. We're pretty far along in the sales cycle and the manager and the salesperson are going out there to close versus a manager observing and really making a coaching call. Ironically, where I think managers struggle the most is the debrief because they, let's say they observed a few things that went right, hopefully a few things that went right, but they also saw maybe a number of things related to the coaching plan that didn't go as well as they would have liked. Managers often can't resist the temptation to really immediately share what didn't go right. And so I think, you know, in the interest of time, maybe we just touch on the debrief and, Ray, maybe some practical steps for, you know, that people can really take away from today's webinar on how to debrief after you've, you know, observed the sales call, whether that's physically observing or listening into an insight call. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think we, you know, touched on a number of these uh, skills, but I always like to start with, and you know, again, in in my co- coaching career on the field and in sales, it's let's reinforce the positive, and uh, you know, I always like to say let's catch them doing something right. So if there's something that they knocked it out of the park, you know, let's make sure we reinforce that. We want them to continue that. Maybe we want them to model it for other reps. Let's make sure that we really uh, reinforce that positive behavior. And you know, when managers say, well, you know, what if nothing went right? I, I'd like to ask the question, if you can't pick one thing that went well on that call, um, you know, I think you really need to ask, is the person trained and are they the right fit? But let's find something, let's reinforce that positive, let's start it out, and then let's lead that self-discovery. So we, as we were asking, you know, let's take those steps to ask good questions. Maybe we have one or two areas we want to drill into, so let's ask some questions. But really love to start with the idea of, hey, how do you think that went? Did you accomplish the objective that you went into the meeting? And, you know, what, what went right in, in your mind? And now we get into the idea of, okay, what might you improve? And so after we have that discussion, I'm going to provide some coaching feedback. Hey, that's a great point. Here's some thoughts, you know, that you might think about. Here's some things that you might work on. You're actually going to provide uh, that feedback. And then also give an opportunity to practice you know, ideally as close to the call as possible, say, let's replay that. You know, let's rewind the tape. Let's have a conversation about that. I'll be the client. Let's try that again. Or, you know, on Friday in our team meeting, I want to use this as an example. We're going to role play that. So I'd like you to prepare and think through that. Now you've got a real live example and you have a chance to put that in place and provide the practice. Again, that's how they're really going to improve. And let's make sure, you know, we say the, the only way to really check and, and understand if, uh, if they've caught it and there's an understanding on their side is to ask them, you know, do, do, you, do you agree? Does that make sense? Can you actually 
explain back to me what we've talked about or what the plan is. So really check that they have that agreement and buy-in that they're going to continue to work on that. And I think that that's a, a really important aspect of it. Now, Ray, I think that's really helpful. And as I mentioned before, I think this is probably where managers struggle the most is, again, you've seen a few things that didn't go exactly as you would have expected, and you want to share those. But it's really important that from a coaching perspective that the sales rep, uh, you kind of lead that sales rep through self-discovery. They're much more likely to um, to take action on their own if, if they discover it on their own. So, again, I want to just uh, engage our audience um, one more time and just, you know, the question here is why is self-discovery important when coaching? And love to just kind of get a few thoughts around self-discovery. It's something that we pretty passionate about and think it's, it's absolutely essential for our coaching debrief. Yeah, that's great. And, again, I always love getting the, the responses from our audience um, you know, one, you know, kind of expanding and, and seeing things in different areas from different industries, different organizations. Um, but, you know, I think we'll get some, some similar themes here. You know, we're starting off with the idea that it helps to increase the accountability. So if they've helped to uncover the issue, identify it, they're going to be more likely to buy in. We're starting to get uh, quite a few Ownership, responses coming Ownership, confidence. In I love the one about confidence. I mean that, you know, confidence gets to motivation when people are confident they become really motivated, and that gets to empowerment. Engagement gets people engaged; it empowers them. You basically your own, you, you know, you own your learning. In other words, you're 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 developing that learning on your own. Uh, creates an aha moment. They get they, the light bulb goes on for them. Someone's not flipping the switch for them. Uh, it represents a cultural change in the business. It says that we really do have a cultural change. So you know, a lot of real great reasons. And again, because most managers came from a sales background, again, their temptation is to offer input before they're, um, uh, you know, really leading in self-discovery and letting the salesperson uh, kind of lead that process. A couple of thoughts we'd offer um, on self-discovery. Change is owned by the salesperson, not the coach. Creates a positive coaching experience. It's much better when they discover on their own than being told. And the coach learns the salesperson's perspective. So uh, it's really nice that you're, you're getting their perspective first and hearing what's going on in their mind before you, uh, you, you start to share yours. Here's just a technique we use uh, for self-discovery, which really gets to observation. So, you know, you know, I might ask you, Ray, you know, so, Ray, you know, what, what did you notice in that skills, sales call or, or, you know, what surprised you? And then, you know, again, kind of getting some reflection questions, you know, so, so what happened next? Or, you know, what did you hope would happen? And then to the application questions of now what? And we typically do a lot of role plays around this because this is a great way for managers to learn how to um, skillfully lead a self-discovery process. So just, a, you know, again, a pretty simple model, observation, reflection, application, or simply stated what, so what, now what? And it's been a really effective way for managers to learn how to lead self-discovery coming out of a sales call. Absolutely. Ray, I know you know, what I, really, I, what I really love about the, the role plays that we do around this is, you know, even though it may feel a little contrived as, as you're going in and, you know, we often get, get resistance on role plays, oh, don't really like to do it. 
and then uh, you know across the board the feedback is wow that was really the best part of the of the training or or that really helped bring it to light and i think the reason is you know when you ask those questions and you realize there's always one more good question you can ask and even if it's just well what were you thinking there or what did you think would happen you know as you said those reflection questions or wow you know how did you really think uh, that that call went just by putting it out there causes the rep to think and go through that process. What I also really like and I think is, is pretty profound in this process is if we can get the reps to ask themselves those questions coming out of a sales call, again, we can't be there most of the time. So if they can ask themselves, well, how did that go? What did I like? What might I do differently? They start to ask themselves those questions because they know if you were there, you would be asking. Now they've started to learn how to develop their own skills and, and really kind of coach themselves. And I think that's a that's a pretty significant development. Great points, and I think you know again, it is it is fun to watch the light bulb go on and teach and see the managers really starting to apply these coaching skills. Let me kind of cover a few takeaways, and we want to get into some Q and A. But most managers don't know how to coach, but can learn. So that's one of the key points we we covered early on. Coaching creates leverage, uh, moving from chief problem solver to empowering people to solve their own problems. Uh, really has a huge impact on uh, sales performance and motivation of the sales team. Sales coaching is the best management action for moving the middle. So when we think about the matrix that you took us through, Ray, the big diamond in the center was coaching. Uh, we want to really assess skills, figure out what skills um, are, are coachable, and then develop coaching plans and move people from coaching ideally to empowerment. Coaching mindset, we just spent a lot of time on self-discovery and got a lot of great input from the participants, why it's so important. And then using defined coaching process, and this really makes sure that managers are not skipping a step in the process or in larger organizations that managers are largely coaching the same way. So you can start to use the same coaching tools and really use coaching from a coaching culture perspective. It really helps to create a lot of consistency and continuity. We have a lot of information and resources on coaching. Um, they're available in our white papers, in our monthly newsletter, in webinars like today. So you know, feel free to go to our website and visit the Resource Center. We um, also have a very active blog. And with that, Jackie, I'm going to turn it back to you just to see if you can take us through some Q&A and maybe a couple of takeaways uh, from today's webinar. Thank you, Norman and Ray, for leading today's webinar. Based on the number of questions we have, there is certainly a lot of interest on this topic. Before we get to the Q&A, I wanted to briefly mention that if you would like a copy of today's presentations, please email me at Jackie at salesreadinessgroup.com, and I'd be happy to send them to you. All right, first question. Ray, do you have any recommendations for coaching new sales hires? Oh, well, that's a great question, Jackie. Thank you. Um, you know, and I think we, we hear that often. It's like, well, what do I do with a person that, you know, maybe is further down on that development grid uh, and, and is a new hire to the organization? And we didn't get into specifics of time allocation, but when we're looking at new reps, they should go to the top of the, uh, uh, top of the list in terms of our coaching priority. And really for that first six to 12 months, whatever that time is for ramp up in your organization, they should be, be really the one that you're spending 
uh, more time with uh, than than others in the group. And specifically, that's one where you may want to set those calls up, again, if we're doing our pre-call planning, where you're breaking out and saying, okay, on this one, I'm going to model the front end, or, or I want you to kick off the meeting, and then I'm going to step in, and I'm going to model and show you how I do it, and then we're going to talk about it afterwards. So you may be doing more joint calls, or you may even do a pure modeling call where you say, you know, I'll take this call and I want you there watching, and then we're going to talk about how it went afterwards related to those specific uh, calls. Thank you, Ray. Okay, second question. Norman, how should managers allocate their coaching time across their team? Uh, that actually sounds like a follow-on to the question you just asked Ray. So I think he talked about new reps for that ramp-up period, traditionally about six months being the highest priority. And then I think from there, ironically, a lot of managers get it wrong and they spend way too much time coaching bottom performers. Ironically, those bottom performers, if they're not too new hires, probably represent the lowest return on investment. They may be people who have just way too many skills deficiencies to go through coaching and they may just not be in the right position. So what we would like to recommend, and going back to the coaching diamond, is new hires should be the highest priority. Then your middle performers. So coaching is all about moving the middle. If you just get a 5% or 10% sales increase from your middle performers, it has a huge impact in, over, in overall performance. So new hires first, middle performers second. Ironically, top performers um, would come next. And that's because top performers typically have such a big impact on overall revenue that even slight improvements with your top performers can have a huge ROI and then your bottom performers last. So thinking about you know a sales team of seven people, maybe you have one or one new hire, top of the stack, three middle performers, kind of you know the next group, two top performers next, and then maybe your bottom performer last. And you should basically think about that as you build your quarterly plan uh, for, for coaching and allocating your coaching time. Norman, thank you. Well, it looks like we are close to the end of the webinar, and in the interest of time, I'm going to end the Q&A, but please email us at info at salesreadinessgroup.com if you have any additional questions. Thank you again, everybody, for joining us today. Thank you very much.